0: Here, nothing sounds right to me but uh uh, thank you so much for those of you who were online or are used to being with us in the parking lot just know that um, uh, we did intend to do that today but the rain continued to sort of hint around on the radar and we just couldn't get uh, a good confidence in setting our equipment out there I just checked again a minute ago and it says there's a 60 percent chance of rain at 11 o'clock and that's kind of what we've been fighting with this morning we set it up or started setting it up this morning had to rush it all back inside because a the, the little bit of rain came. So anyway, uh, just a reminder, we will continue to try our best to do an outdoor and an indoor worship service through Easter. And on Easter Sunday will actually be the last time that we will do that, uh, Lord willing. So uh, we're doing that on Easter Sunday primarily because we want to be able to say that there is space for anyone who shows up on Easter Sunday morning. We've told you there's a mail-out that's going out. It'll go out, I believe, this Friday. And then, uh, in addition, we've given you those invitation cards. We want you to be able to say to people, uh, we want you here. I had, matter of fact, I invited somebody just this, this past week to our church. And she said, you know, I have not been in church in a worship service in over a year. She said, I, I, I need it so bad. I said, well, we would love to have you with us. So, so just know we're creating space uh, so that we can make sure that there's room for anybody that wants to be here. So uh, please encourage folks to show up. Use that card that we've given to you. One brief announcement. I just want to let you know um, we have a, a missionary family that we sent out of our church about three and a half years ago. The Talbert family, they are, uh, will be back here with us for a couple of months, May and June-ish, something like that. Um, And uh, our women's ministry is collecting gift cards and other things for them so that as they get here, they can just get their pantry stocked and maybe enjoy a taste of of Camden with uh, Chick-fil-A or whatever it is. So if you would like to care for that, you can actually write a check and drop it in the offering plate and just put in your memo note, Talbert's, or you could uh, purchase a gift card, drop it by the the church office in whatever way you'd like to care for them. But just an opportunity for uh, you all. Uh, for all of us to love on them as they show back up here in a couple of months. Having said all those things, we're in the book of Judges, chapter 2. Judges, chapter 2. We're going to call a bit of an audible this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 6. We're going to read 6 through 10, and then we're going to flip over to the very last verse of the book of Judges, Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. I like hearing those pages turn. I don't get to hear that outside. Stand with me as we read God's Word together. The Bible says this, When Joshua dismissed the people, the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all the generation also, all that generation rather, also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Then turn all the way over to the book of Judges. So if you can imagine, that's sort of the, the bookend on the front end of the book of Judges, and we get the bookend on the back end here, the very last verse that captures the theme for the entire book. In those days, there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes let's pray together father god i pray that we would do what is right in your eyes that we would recognize the one true king not only lord god over israel but over all of creation as king of kings and lord of lord god yahweh jehovah lord we pray to you in the name of jesus christ our crucified buried and risen lord we pray in the name of jesus and the power of the holy spirit and we pray lord god that you would send us an anointing so that we may understand your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I've titled this sermon, Build Wisely, and ask you, how are you investing in the future? How are you investing in the future? Uh, if you're like me and you're uh, uh, in your 30s or 40s, Uh, I hope that you are doing things right now to prepare for the future. The time will come when I will approach retirement. And, And if I hope to retire with any degree of not being impoverished, I've got to be doing things right now to prepare for that, putting a little bit aside of what I earn each week into some investments and other things like that so that hopefully when I get there, I'm not relying solely on my children's Social Security payments to get me by. Some of you guys are already in, in, enjoying the inheritance of your investments from years gone by. You're enjoying those retirement years as you are living on really what you earned 20, 30, or even 40 years ago. Of course, some of you that are really old, maybe 50 or 60 years ago. When I say old, I mean experienced is what I meant. Seasoned, that would be a better word. Um, uh, hush. Again, I like being outside. I can't hear y'all complaining. It's really nice. Uh, But when we think about an investment, an investment is necessarily what I'm going to pay today with a belief that I'm not going to really see the fruit of that for days, weeks, months, really and truly, usually it's even years. 2020 spoiled some people. 2020 spoiled some people who had invested in the stock market in a similar way that we saw with something like uh the dot-coms and things like that in the late 90s where there was a whole lot of stock runs and it's been uh some people made a lot of money in 2020 but most of the time our investments are not about what i'm going to make tomorrow but how's it going to benefit me in the next 5 10 15 or 20 years i have to be disciplined to invest don't we Because investment says, I'm not going to spend this money to satisfy or gratify what I would like to do with it today. Instead, I'm going to stick it over here because I expect that at some point in the the future, I'm going to need it. Folks, as it relates to discipleship, as it relates to building a church, a community of faith, as it relates to us praying for and looking for God to do something even within our own community, our own nation, our own world. Let me suggest to you today that much of what it takes to build wisely in the kingdom of God is going to require from us investments in the future. It's going to cost us today with the prayerful hope that in the future we're going to see a return on those investments. We find ourselves in the book of Judges, and the book of Judges is maybe the bloodiest book in all the Bible. It's horrible. We, we list, we've been listening with many of you. We've been working through the Bible together as a family. So we've been listening to it as a family. And uh, one of my kids, we were to it at the table. Maybe it was last night. One of my kids said, man, Judges is kind of depressing. All they're doing is fighting and fighting and fighting. And folks, the reason is that the book of Judges is a terribly depressing book. It's a book that constantly repeats the same story over and over and over again. It's a broken record. The story of a people who forgot the Lord, who have turned from the Lord, and there is no king. And let's not forget this. When they say there is no king, not only was there no physical king, there's a spiritual component here that we need to be reminded that they were not honoring the true king of Israel. And as a result of that, each went after his own way. We are warned in the scripture that where there is no vision, the people perish. Well, here we are reminded that where there is no king, there is no unified vision. Everybody does what is right in their own eyes. Folks, can I tell you that when we all begin spiraling out of control and doing what is only right in our own eyes, we find ourselves pretty much in the world we live in today. But can I just warn you that if we're not careful... That becomes the culture, not only of the world around us, but the culture of our church. When we don't allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to shape us from the inside out. And it becomes that way quickly when we don't allow and use the gospel of Jesus to build on the next generation. It's important for us to recognize that what it was that happened. The Bible says that those of in Joshua's generation continued to serve the Lord. And so they probably thought everything's okay, but none of them had looked beyond the current moment to consider what was on the horizon. There was a tidal wave ahead of them, and they closed their eyes and pretended like it wasn't there. What's it look like for us this morning? How are you investing in the future? I think that we can pick up some things where Joshua's generation failed, and where we must not fail if we will see God do something great in this generation and in the generations to come. The first thing this morning is that you must serve faithfully. Y'all didn't see that coming, did you? You thought the first thing certainly that he'll say is what we're going to teach. But can I tell you that folks are forming an opinion, your kids, your kids' kids, your kids' friends, the people that walk into this church, are forming an opinion about Jesus and about the gospel, first, about the way that we behave, and second, about what it is that we say. Now, does that mean that the Word of God shouldn't drive everything we do? No, that's not what I'm saying to you. What I'm saying is that the people around you are judging Jesus based on the way that you behave. I'm just curious. If that's the case, if you look back at your life over the last day, week, month, or year, and somebody said, you're the only Jesus that I've seen, would you feel like, would you believe, would you say that the people in your life have seen a pretty good representation of Jesus? Better yet, would Jesus say, hey, that's pretty much how I would have wanted to have been represented today. Those are the words I would have encouraged you to use. That's the attitude I would have encouraged you to have. That's exactly how I would have used my social media if I were you. I dare say that many of us would have to look at Jesus and drop our head in shame. Many of us could really understand Peter dropping his head. Because though we may not have denied Jesus outright with our words... In the words of D.C. Talk, we walked out the door and denied Him with our lifestyle. And we've done it in the church. It's good to have theology, good theology and right beliefs, but if we're going to build something that matters, we have to show the world around us and the generation among us more than right beliefs. We must show them right actions. Jonathan Edwards has been called one of the greatest thinkers to ever live on American soil. His writings are voluminous. His influence is wide. He was a leader in the first great awakening and he won many many people to Christ. But many people in recent years find it hard to stomach Jonathan Edwards because of glaring sin and omission in his life. He was systematic in his thinking about the application of Scripture in so many things. And yet when it came to slavery... Jonathan Edwards was guilty as sin. Jonathan Edwards wasn't merely a slaveholder. Jonathan Edwards was a man who systematically wrote about the correctness of owning other human beings and of participating in the slave trade. Some will say, and I love this one, well, he was just a man of his times, and we got to get over that. But I would say to you that when it comes to the people of Christ, we are not called to be people of the times. We're called to be prophetic voices speaking against the sin of our times. Folks, it's so easy for us to overlook things that are uncomfortable, to pretend like sin around us is okay because everybody else was doing it. In evangelicalism, we have this this emphasis on right beliefs, but often we emphasize right beliefs. We call that orthodoxy at the expense of emphasizing right practices, right actions. So there's a degree to which we even downplay Christ-likeness in attitude and behavior. Man, I'm seeing this in our world and it breaks my heart. Honoring Christ and investing in the future, building wisely, means more than simply knowing right things. It means living right ways and doing right things. Imagine the frustration as we think about building wisely of hiring a home builder. A home builder who knew what it was like to build a house properly and safely. Imagine your frustration if that builder who knew the right thing chose to not do the right thing. And yet, somehow or other, oftentimes in the church, we've we've sort of over, we've downplayed those people who didn't do the right thing, we said, well, their heart's in the right place. Jesus said the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. And can I just tell you that if you're spewing hate out of your mouth, it's because your heart is filled with hate. And it doesn't matter what you tell people on Sunday mornings. The church has got to look in the mirror and ask ourselves whether or not we look like Jesus. book of James is clear. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What does that mean? That means showing up at church on Sunday morning and claiming to be a follower of Jesus is a deception if you're not living according to the word of God. Well, Craig, it once saved, always saved. How dare you? I'm just reading what God's word says to you. And God's Word says that Christians act and look like Christians, period. And if that's uncomfortable to you, then maybe it should be. And maybe it should be to all of us. Folks, we've got to ask ourselves a question. Do we want to create a generation of people who walk away from Jesus? Work hard then to convince the people around us that right beliefs matter, but right actions matter matter just as much do you want to drive people away Then do this teach people the right thing and then do the wrong thing and then watch what happens you want a surefire way parents to drive your children away from jesus let me tell you what do take them to church on sunday morning and preach to them with holier-than-thou sermons in your in your home and then treat them like trash and don't live like jesus let them hear you teaching sunday school on sunday morning and treating your wife like garbage on monday night Let them hear you talk about sinfulness to others and then let them see you cheating on your taxes and robbing from other people. You know what those children grow up to say? They grow up to say, my parents were hypocrites and I want no part of it. You can't just hear the right thing. You've got to do it or you are deceiving yourself. Do you want to invest in the next generation? Do you want to build something that matters? Folks, we've got to look like Jesus And we've got to set a standard within the church that it's not okay to say you believe the right thing if you don't live the right things. What does that mean? That means we are to emphasize the Great Commission, absolutely. We are to emphasize the Great Commandment, without a doubt. But we must also remember Paul's words that all Scripture is God breathed, all of it is useful for teaching, and for rebuking. And so when you do not love your neighbor as yourself, you are in sin. You say, but who is my neighbor? I'm glad you would ask. It turns out there was a self-righteous lawyer who asked the same thing in Jesus' day. And that self-righteous lawyer says, well, Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is. And Jesus says, well, your neighbor, Mr. Republican, is the Democrat. And your neighbor, Mr. Democrat, is the Republican. And your neighbor is the person on social media that you don't like. And your neighbor is your neighbor that lives beside you. Jesus says your neighbor is all of these people and you are to love them. We have lost sight of the fact that the people that we disagree with in this world are image bearers of God who deserve our love because God created them in His image. Christians have embarked in a culture war. And you've identified people as the enemy instead of Satan as the enemy. And when you see them out there, you jump up and down. And you scream. And you jump on social media. And you talk about how evil these people are. No, they are captives to their sin. And we have a responsibility to love them in the name of Jesus. To go to them with the gospel. And for goodness sakes, to be about more than a culture war. We are to love all people and to love them well and to serve faithfully. Do you want to build something that matters? Can I tell you that building something that matters is going to first begin with you acting like Jesus? Yes, I understand that you're not going to understand how to act like Jesus until you've been into God's Word. But folks, what I want you to hear me say is that the people who walk into our church are judging Jesus Within the first three minutes they get here. Do you know that people have decided whether or not they're going to believe anything I say within about 30 seconds of me opening my mouth? That's a reality. And guess what? If those people think I'm a jerk because of something else, then then they have zero interest in hearing what I have to say. Why? Because I've done something that's suggested to them that Jesus is nothing they want anything to do with. How dare we malign the name of Jesus so that we can sharpen our political axis? Jesus matters more. The gospel matters more. And if we are truly committed to the gospel above all else, then listen to me. We will stop fighting about so many other things and we will focus only on sharing the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are going to open doors to share that when we love people in the name of Jesus. Serve faithfully serve faithfully. The people of Joshua had seen the mighty works of God. They knew the work that the Lord had done for him, but maybe they didn't teach it. We don't know, but what we know for sure is they didn't model it in front of their children, did they? They didn't model it in front of the next generations to come because the generations that followed them said, hey, we can do what's right in our own eyes. If we turn back to the book of Joshua, what we find out is the only thing that the people of the book of Judges did was exactly what they'd seen their parents do, isn't it? I've started calling my children Israelites. Because they constantly do what I tell them not to do. And because in grace and mercy I continue to bestow upon them the blessings of the promise. Parents, I would encourage you to use the same language. We should be uniform in the way that we apply the scripture. Of course, we have to look in the mirror and say, I too am Israel, don't we? And yet, how dare we not do all that we can to not honor the Lord? Why would this generation have done what they did? They modeled exactly what they had seen their parents do, but guess what happens? They tend to do it to the nth degree, don't they? Don't our kids tend to ratchet up, especially those negative character traits they inherit for their mom and dad? Don't, don't, parents, how many of you have seen this in your kids? You're like, yeah, that one comes from me. <laughs> Jeez, I wish this I wish they didn't get that from me. I love this when my sweet wife goes, Oh, that one's yours. But you don't know that. That's not my character trait. That might have come from you. Your family. Who knows? No, that one and, and and you know what's really bad is you know deep in your heart that you can't even deny it. You know it. I know it too. When my children are sweet and loving, they get that from me too. I just want y'all to know that. Folks, the next generation is watching us. Not only what we claim to believe, they're watching to see if we act like it. And just let me give you a side note. The next generation is not exclusively an age category. The next generation of believers may be your age and they've not yet come to Christ. Do you understand? When we talk about investing in the next generation, I don't want to exclude those in generations below you, but I also don't want to exclude those who might be in your same age range, but who do not yet know Jesus. They're judging Jesus by your actions. If somebody drew a picture of Jesus based on what they know about you, would it be an accurate picture of Christ? You want to invest in the next generation, serve faithfully, serve faithfully. Second, invest in the next generation. As you live your life before the next generation, make sure you're actually investing in them. Now, just briefly, I want to remind you again, as I said, that's not just children. It's not just teenagers. And listen to me. If you're 70 years old, if you're 60 years old, I'm in that next generation. You understand? You understand? It's not always that you're investing in a a 13-year-old. You might be investing in a 45-year-old, but invest in them. Now, what does it look like? We invest in the next generation by being intentional in our discipleship practices, for instance. The Bible says that they did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for for, for, for Israel. How in the world would they not have known? Because nobody told them. No one told them. Who have you told recently about God's mighty acts in his word and in your life? Is there somebody in your life who knows you well enough to have heard you tell these stories? Is there somebody in your life that has heard you say them so much that they're a little bit tired of them? Angela's grandpa used to repeat the same stories over and over and over again. They were all thankful when I came into the family. Because when I came into the family, they were all new for me. And so when he started telling his stories, they would all leave. And I would sit there just raptured to hear him tell his stories. He was a World War II veteran and and had experienced so many things in his life. The rest of the family was so thankful that he and I could walk into the den and he could tell me his stories and I would sit and listen and they would go do whatever in the world they were going to do. Is there anybody that's heard you talk so much about Jesus that they're rolling their eyes going, I've already heard this? Is there anybody? I mean, seriously. Is there anybody in your life that goes, yes, yes, I know You were bound for hell and now you're bound for heaven. I've heard. I know what God did. Why not? Why? Certainly they've heard a hundred times about that deer you shot two years ago, but they've not heard a hundred times about that Jesus that you experienced 20 years ago. Invest in the next generation. Remember that investing means that I am paying something forward. Sometimes investing in the next generation means that I assume that what I'm doing might not have an impact today or tomorrow. I might not see the fruit of this investment for the next three, four, five years. Some of you teachers, middle school teachers, I think middle school teachers are the the greatest investors because middle schoolers are aggravating, right? Those of you that teach sixth grade, God bless you. There's nothing like a sixth grade except mine. My sixth grader's are awesome. But the rest of y'all, are sixth graders, I don't even know. But sixth graders, I mean, they come in, and especially sixth grade boys, nothing personal, guys. It's such an awkward age you're trying to figure out. You, you know, I, um, Uh, what's his face said you know i'm 18 am i a boy or am I a man forget about 18 like like 12 is hard what in the world do you do you got all these things going on sixth grade teachers are teaching these little sixth graders and what you know is that this thing is going to be something completely different in two years but for right now you got to deal with what you got and so you're trying your best to teach them what it is to be a great student what it is to be responsible and listen they're still not sure if they're in fourth grade or eighth grade they're right there in the middle But then you're this 6th grade teacher and you see them in the 8th grade and you go, I knew it was there! I knew it! I I could see it coming. And then one day you see them and they're they're in the 12th grade and you go, yes! Yes, this is why! This is why we labored over that math because I knew you could do it! I could see what was coming! That 6th grader couldn't see it, but you knew! That's why 6th grade's so hard. They don't know what's around the corner. We know and we're just trying to get them there, you know? Just go, we got this, let's do it. folks. sometimes that's what discipleship's like. That's what investing in the next generation is. It's putting your arm around that one and going, look here, I know what's coming. I say it to my kids a lot of times. I say, listen, you don't see around the corner, but I see it. And so why are we doing this right now? You're right, it really doesn't matter that much right now, but it matters for what's coming two years from now. I've made myself uncomfortable and i made you uncomfortable because we're preparing for what's ahead. The, the people that jo- in Joshua's generation did not do a good enough job at preparing the coming generation. Folks, investing in them means we're giving something up now because we know what it can be in the future. So let me just say this. When it comes to discipleship in the local church, it costs you something, Right now, when you take that brand new believer and you begin trying to help them understand what it looks like to follow Jesus, it's costly. It costs you time. It costs you, it costs you emotional energy. Because you say, hey, don't you get it? And then they come back the next week or the next two weeks or three weeks down the road, and they go, hey, you know, I, 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 I was trying to follow Jesus, but I did that same sinful thing over again. And you're going, why did you do it again? And that's what you want to do, but then you remember that Jesus didn't shake you every time because you are Israel. And instead, like Peter, he says, do you love me? Then come on. And we arm them up, and we love on them. What are you doing to invest in the next generation? Not only to live out your Christian faith before the watching world, but to actually invest. In 2032, our church is going to turn 100. And in coming weeks, you're going to hear more plans from me about what it looks like for how we can prepare for the next 100 years of ministry as a church. That's right. we got to be thinking that way. Because we've got to be investing not just in today, but in the future. One of the most important things you'll do for the next generation is to invest. So you're going to invest your time. So I'm going to go ahead and say this to you. If there's not somebody that you're giving it, your time to today, find them. Don't make it weird. Let me just encourage you. Don't make it weird. Kevin, I would love to have an intentional discipling relationship with you. Can we begin meeting once a week? Even Kevin, as weird as he is, is going to say No. <laughs> He's been making fun of my guitar playing for far too long. Um, he's going to look at me like I've got three heads, right? But we read these books that come and we go, Johnny, I'd like to disciple you. And he's like, who are you? Maybe I'd like to disciple you. No, don't be weird about it. Send him a text message. Can we go to lunch this week? Ask him about their family. Ask him one simple question. Hey, have you been reading the Bible with us this week? Well, that gives you an opportunity. Maybe they look at you and say, "Like one of our, one of our men blessed my heart several months ago, or weeks ago." He said, "Craig, this this reading through the Bible thing, it, thank you." Well, actually, he didn't. He said, "Thank you for the whole story." And I was like, "What in the world is the whole story? What, what are you talking?" Because I'm you know dumb half the time, and I keep listening. And he goes, "It's just been such a blessing. We've been reading through the Bible together." And I was like, "Oh, the sermon series? Yeah, yeah. Good job. All right, yes." But but just sit down with somebody and say, hey, have you been doing it? They might look at you and say, yeah, it's been such a blessing. And then your conversation, you mean, well, t- tell me, you know, us two, what's blessed you the most? And you begin that process. Right? They might say, no, I haven't. And you might, you might look at them and say, Man, maybe you ought to try it. Don't get beat up. Maybe, hey, you, you haven't, look, look listen, we're, we're in judges right now. Why don't you just start with me? I, I, I'll, sit, I'll send you a text tomorrow and remind you. I, I, I'll shoot you a text next week and see how it's going. Right? Maybe you sit down, ladies, with that, that woman, and, and, and she sa- you, you say, how's life? And she says, you know, my kids are driving me crazy. And you look at her and you say, I understand. Because you know what? A lot of ladies, that, I'm not one, but what I understand is a whole lot of ladies think that you're the only one whose kids are driving you crazy and life's really hard. And, and, and there's a whole lot of you Christian ladies that just need to be reminded that God loves you right in the crazy, busy time of your life. Did you take time to tell somebody else that? And look here. Did you take time to tell somebody else that? And then as you told them to watch it registered in their face so it could sink down deeper into your heart that God loves me right in this crazy busy time of my life too? You understand, this is what discipleship looks like. Sometimes it happens on the tailgate of a truck. Sometimes it happens, you know, in in, in a school parking lot. It, It can happen all over the place in all sorts of different ways. Don't make it weird. Just find somebody that you're going to give a little bit of time to. And a little bit of emotional energy to. And a bit of your prayer time to. Commit to that person. You don't even have to tell them. You understand you don't. I've discipled some of y'all and, and I never even said it to you. I just was there. I just spent the time. Invest in the next generation. So invest your time. It's important, but also, let me just encourage you, invest financially in the next generation. Now, that certainly means tithing, and and God's been so good to our church, okay, so good, but it it does, it means that. Listen, we've got to, do do you know we're averaging 45 teenagers, about 45 teenagers in our student ministry on Sunday mornings, 45, right? That's a lot, for those of you that don't know, that's a ton, they're everywhere, we don't know where we're going to put them. We're trying to shake them off. Do you want to go to another church? There's room at another place. We don't say that. You know, but just just, yet. Give us time. Uh, But we hand select the ones we want at another church. Oh, you would probably be better at another place. But we got some adults like that. Um, But be, be willing to invest financially. Write your tithe checks. But when you do that, I want you to think of it this way. Think of it. You're honoring the Lord, but you're also investing in the future. Right? Sometimes when you tithe, you're not going to see an immediate return on that. You're not going to, but you're not. We got to stop thinking about what's in it for me, what did the church do for me lately? No, 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 no. When I write that, I'm thinking about what's my church going to do in the next 50 years? How is that 13 year old that I am praying for going to change our community 30 years from now? See, it's a mindset shift. It says, I'm not worried about what happens tomorrow so much as I am thinking about how can I invest in the future. (coughs) Invest the next generation. Invest intentionally. Invest heavily. (laughs) Consider this. We should only expect a return in proportion to our investment. Everybody likes to find a penny stock that'll turn over for them. You know, they they invest three cents and it runs up and it multiplies by like 27,000 times. And I invested $100 and I made $27,000 or whatever the math is. That doesn't happen most of the time. If it did, then people wouldn't invest heavily in their retirement. Folks, we should only expect a return in proportion to our investment. Do you want to see a church that is unhealthy? You want to see a church that's not filled with mature believers? Then only give a little bit of your time, only give a little bit of your money, and you'll get a little bit of return on that. But if you want to see people who are changed powerfully by the gospel, that are impacting their community, then let me encourage you to write big checks with your time, to write big checks with your talents, to write big checks with your treasures. And to think about how it is that we can make an impact that's bigger than us. But I cannot overemphasize time. Because some of you are much more willing to write a big check out of your checkbook than you are to write a check out of your time. People need your time invest heavily invest intentionally folks if we're not investing the next generation in discipleship and evangelism and accountability then we should not expect that there's going to be a return on that right what is it going to do? just magically happen no we've got to invest and then finally capitalize on the return when we think about our money uh, you know our investments are are really not helpful unless we capitalize on them so imagine how crazy it would be to have 10 million dollars sitting in the bank and then to be starving because you wouldn't take that money out because you got so, some of you're laughing, but you got so caught up in seeing that that account grow that you watch yourself, you let yourself starve. Ebenezer Scrooge kind of thing. What's it look like for us to capitalize on our investments within the church? If we're investing well within the, in, the, in the next generation, then we will see those in whom we invest grow up into maturity. We then have. The opportunity and the responsibility to capitalize on that investment. To begin giving ministry and responsibility over to those we've invested in. That gets scary, doesn't it? Because it doesn't matter how much I invest. They're not, they're not me. They don't do it the way that I would do it. That's hard for Craig Thompson. Okay? Because what the people who work here know, and some of you who have worked here in the past know, is that I don't always have a good way to say what I want to happen. But in my brain, there's a way that I think everything should happen. And so they all laugh at me. They walk in and go, is this what you want? And I say, I don't care. And I say, you do care. Is this what you want? Folks, when we give away ministry, sometimes we got to be like, all right, this is not the way I would have done it, but it's, it's okay. Now, we, we turn all the way back to, to the end of Judges, because you were wondering if that was ever going to come back into play. And in that bookend at the end of Judges, we read what? We read, if I can get there. We read, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, when we give away ministry, let me back up. We often don't give away ministry and responsibility because we are afraid that people will change something. They won't do it the way I thought they should or the way I wanted it. And then if we're not careful, we begin to say that my way is not only a good way, maybe not even only the best way, but my way is God's way. Okay? Now, you go, we would never do that. Listen, all of y'all, most of y'all in here have lived long enough to remember a time when somebody judged somebody because they didn't show up to church with a tie on. Or whatever, because God's people wear a tie to church. Okay, COVID broke all that because we don't even know what to wear anymore. I don't even know if I'm going to be inside or outside. I don't know if, like this morning, I have a heavy coat in my office because I wasn't sure what I was going to be preaching. And I forgot my tie. Nobody's even judging me anymore. But listen, we can laugh at that, but if we're not careful, we find ourselves doing the exact same thing. So we return to Judges twenty one twenty five that says, There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So what is our goal? You say, Craig, how does that have anything to do? Watch this. You ready? Pay attention. We need to see this. If we establish that there is one king, and his name is Jesus... And if we disciple people under that one king, we teach them to follow King Jesus, to love his word, to honor his word, and to obey his word. When that happens, when people serve Jesus, they may take us in different directions. But when we've all decided to serve King Jesus, we have to be okay with a different direction as long as they are serving Jesus. And walking in ways that are in line with His ways and that honor Him. Folks, capitalizing on our investments means that we begin to give away the ministry and the responsibilities. And we say, you might do it different. But as long as what you're doing accords with this word, I might not like it. But I'm going to learn to love it because Jesus said it's okay. But oh, our rigid legalism and that's what it is fundamentalism gets in the way oh that's a slippery slope Craig. no it's not it's not a slippery slope if it's wedded to this book it's only a slippery slope but it's wedded to our hearts because our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things and can't be trusted but this word never ever changes so part of Capitalizing on our return means that we check our sinful hearts at the door. And we pray that God would take the hearts of flesh that he gave us when he saved us and continue to work to mold them more and more into his image. And that we would be okay with worldviews that are shaped by a Middle Eastern man who lived 2,000 years ago more than by the politics of our day. In conclusion, what in the world are we talking about? What are we building? What are we building? What are we willing to to give up? What are we willing to invest? Folks, I want to ask you this question. Not how are you investing in the future. That's what we began with. I want to transition to this. Are you willing to invest in the future? Are you willing? Every investment comes with risks. Because when I invest my money, they can give us all the guarantees, but the reality is there's a risk. There's a risk. No matter what you invest in, there's always going to be a risk. One of the risks to our investment in the next generation is that they may build a church that looks incredibly different from ours. They may build a congregation that looks very different. They may build an ideology that looks very different. There's a risk there. But as long as we're giving them the gospel, the reward may just be that God brings about a new reformation in our church and in our world that brings us not further away from Jesus, but closer in line with his teachings and allows us to impact our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must build wisely. The future of the church is depending on us as adults today. To do the right thing. So that the church can be more. Impacting more. Changing more lives. In all the years to come. Are you willing to invest heavily so that we can make a change? That's my that's the invitation this morning. Are you willing to give up something so that the future can be better than the present? Folks, we live in a world that is divided, that is hurting. We saw another mass. Murder this week, our world is hurting and we have the answer. But listen to me. We are depending. On the generations ahead of us. To make the difference. Folks, we don't give up, but let's just be honest. Some of our generations have already shot our shot. And we need to be investing heavily with prayers that the generations after us will do better than we have. Will you invest in the generations behind you? This morning... This altar's open. Perhaps you'd like to come and pray. Uh, I'd be happy to pray with you. I'll be standing right over here. Maybe this morning you just need to raise your hands and sing and commit to the Lord with that song. Maybe you need to pull out your bulletin and a piece of paper or your phone and your notes app and you need to start jotting down the names of the people. Maybe you need to pull out your checkbook and you start writing checks. But folks, we've got to invest with hopes and prayers that the next generation will be better than we are. And I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is enough to make that happen. Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, I pray, Lord God, that we would look at the book of Judges and we would see it prophetically within our own time. And Father God, there arose a generation after them that did not know you, Lord God. May we be a generation of people who determines that we will do everything in our power to make certain that the generations that come after us know the Lord, that know His ways, that make a difference. That Lord God, make a gospel difference in a lost and dying world. Let us, Lord God, be the people that share love and hope and light. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing with us this morning.